Hey everyone, I'm Andrew, and you're listening to Small Efforts, a collaboration between Crit and Miss Grants. And hi, I'm Sean. Small Efforts is a show where we talk about cybersecurity, design, and the continuous small efforts it takes to build a business. Do you remember when we first started this and we were like, if we get to 10, we'll take it serious. Like if we get to like 10 episodes. <laughs> the funny part is we got to 10 and didn't change anything because we were like, now we don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. But still, I, I feel like the last 10 episodes have been so much faster than the first 10. Happy episode 20. In our current numbering system, it's episode 19. But then there's also... There's like three or four lost episodes. Yeah, yeah. The trailer doesn't count. So in our current system in Transistor, it is episode 18. Mm -hmm. But there's also the lost tapes, which are at least four episodes, right? Like, I think we recorded at least Mm -hmm. four of it. Also, I find it kind of funny. I feel like part of the reason we didn't publish the lost tapes is because we were here. Like, I went back and listened to some of them and I was like, oh, these are not great. Like, there's a lot of me (laughs) interrupting Sean and rambling. And I'm pretty sure we've gone back to a format where I just interrupt Sean and ramble. That's not true. I don't think that's true. I, I think if anything, I interrupt you more and ramble. I don't know. Mary's pinged me before. She's like, you ramble a lot. It's like, thanks. <laughs> thank you for thank you for making me sound mildly intellectual on, <laughs> on these calls. So I just had a, a mild existential crisis with my therapist before this call. Okay. I boiled down to I worked late last night, which I shouldn't have done. And then I woke up early this morning and I've done a lot of things, but I have yet to check off anything from my original to-do list. One of our our one non-security client right now, this is a total tangent, but it's a company called Productive Flourishing. And in their their planner system, they have this concept of emergent tasks, which I think is so fucking smart. They're basically the tasks that you didn't plan for, but you have to do anyway. And it's just accepting the idea that every day, just about, especially as a founder, you're going to have things that pop up that you weren't expecting. And so it's just planning for that ahead of time. How do you plan for that ahead of time? You have to have fucking self-discipline and you have to like set healthy boundaries and like leave space in your schedule because you know the things you're planning for aren't the only things you're going to have to deal with. You have to be like healthy and responsible. It's like, (laughs) I see. So skip lunch is what you're going to do. (laughs) But, you know, the hard stuff. Yeah. So anyway, part of this existential crisis was like having one of those days. And then part of it is for a lot of last year. One of our marketing contractors left. The other one had a baby. And so I kind of took over marketing. Didn't do a great job. Didn't do a very good job. Hired an editor. We hired Mary to help with the podcast stuff. But for like writing blog posts and you know promoting those blog posts and stuff, I kind of tried to, to do a lot of it. And now we're back to a place where Laura, our super talented writer, has come back. She's amazing. Her baby Ember is adorable super happy for her and her husband Ben. We have started working with my friend James over at Castaway, who's going to help with some promotion stuff for this podcast. And I've been looking at potentially bringing on someone to help with social media stuff as well. And I'm just like, I've been kind of beating my head against the wall. Like, on the one hand, I feel like I should be able to do this stuff. Like, I feel like I should be able to and i know like we're paying my salary already so i know if i did all this stuff i could just do it myself we would save a lot of money and it would help with profits and one of the things we struggled with last year was not being as profitable as we wanted to be but on the other hand part of me feels like 
Andrew, you've been trying to get good at doing this stuff for like roughly eight years now. I mean, the first few I was programming, but then after that, like five years, call it, and you're still struggling. So maybe just accept that this is not the thing you're great at, not the thing you're best at, that there are other people who it's going to be way less energy intensive and they're going to be naturally better at it and just like hire them and get out of their way and then figure out what you're actually good at and focus on that. But it's scary for me to do that and I can get into it as much as you want. That's the thing I'm struggling with right now. So out of curiosity, because you do do that though, right? With the design work and the development work right now, like that's delegated out largely to Austin who leads the fulfillment team. What is the difference between those two in marketing and, and client services? That is an obnoxiously good point. <laughs> <laughs> when you frame it that way. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I'm glad I'm helpful. I'm glad I'm helpful. <laughs> By the way, I'm tentatively calling this episode Swamp Ass. Okay. Gotcha. I'm just not going to explain it. <laughs> if you know, you know. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> for me, apparently. <laughs> so... Okay, here's the fucked up story that's in my head right now. Okay. I largely committed to becoming a programmer, not because I like loved programming. I thought it was interesting. I liked writing code. I thought it was an interesting challenge. But I largely like got excited about programming and made it start doing it more full time because I wanted to build shit. I wanted to see stuff exist and be able to make that happen. And really, I got excited about startups and startup culture and building products and all of that. And it was like, oh, cool, I can code, so I can do that. And then I kind of gave up on that at a certain point and said, okay, I'm not gonna be the technical founder. I'm still technical-ish, I can still, I know a good bit because of that background. But I said, okay, I'm not gonna be the technical founder. And in my mind, to have a good bootstrap startup in particular, but really I, I think everyone should bootstrap until they have enough traction. So in my mind, it's like, build a good bootstrap startup, you kind of need two founders. You need a technical founder and a sales and marketing founder. Someone build the thing, someone sell the thing. And both are massive oversimplifications. And so I think for a long time, I've had this story in my head that, okay, you gave up on being the technical founder. So now you've got to be the sales and marketing founder or else you're building a bootstrap startup one day, not counting crit because crit's <laughs> a quasi startup, small business, whatever. And ignoring the, the obvious fallacy that like I have managed to do it through crit, but ignoring reason, the story in my head was you want to start a bootstrapped product company one day. To do that, you either have to be the technical founder or the sales and marketing founder. You gave up on being the technical founder. So now you've got to be the sales and marketing founder. And yeah, I think it scares me to give up on that as well, even though you're right, I have delegated things on the product side and design and development are probably going much, much, much more smoothly. I know the, the engineering work is higher quality than when I was writing the code. So that's interesting, right? Because there's a couple things here. One, I think sales and marketing are like fundamentally different. I think they're complementary. So being good at both, I think, is a lot to ask. It's weird for me to hear that you have to be one of the two. That's what I'm challenging here, right? Like in my eyes, a CEO of a company is the visionary behind what the company will do. Building a startup is is like a road trip where the CEO decides on where it is you are going to road trip to. Are those the only two types of founder archetypes you're allowed to be? 
you and my therapist would get along because that's exactly what he <laughs> what he asked me as well. <laughs> I am your therapist. <laughs> we are the same person. <laughs> this <laughs> podcast is an elaborate scheme for me to get an extra hour and a half of free therapy. Yeah, it's a buy one get one free thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that's exactly right. I think that's a fallacy that there are multiple types of founders and multiple ways of being and giving up on that you know, letting go of that and figuring out what kind of founder I want to be. And if I even want to be a founder again someday, or if I want to just focus on where we are now and what's best for us now. And doing that also means accepting my limitations and accepting that this thing I've been trying to do, maybe it's time to let someone else try to do it and be okay with them doing it a lot better than I am. What part do you think you are good at? I have an answer for this, which is why I'm curious if it matches. Yeah, so it's a struggle, right? Because I, I was really into theater when I was a kid. I was like in middle school and early high school. I, I did a lot of theater. And I remember like my first you know drama teacher, director telling you, if you mess up on stage, just keep going. No one else knows you messed up. So when you, <laughs> when you ask me what I'm good at, I'm immediately like, well, this thing, but I'm also bad at that thing. <laughs> but in practice, some of that is just knowing everyone has flaws and has mistakes and knowing we are all more aware of those in ourselves than in others. Damn, this is the actual therapy. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I'm being helpful. Hopefully. So, I mean, I think I am exploring that a lot. I know I'm good with people. I like people. I like building relationships. I like building meaningful relationships. Not to say I'm always the best manager. I think that's an area where I'm still actively growing in particular, like trying to learn to be more patient and learn to be less of a perfectionist and like step back and like go of control of things is a constant challenge. But I think in general, like meeting new people, building relationships, building connections, you know, helping connect friends and connect others. And those are things that I derive a lot of joy from. Recruiting is something I've, I've often enjoyed talking to new recruits and new candidates and stuff like that. I guess a lot of this question that I'm, I'm trying to start framing this question in terms of like what things naturally cost me more energy than they cost other people and which things are the reverse, like which things cost me less energy. And I think in general, like for much of my professional career, I've heard people complain about meetings and I'm like, meetings are the easy part. Like I love meetings. Like I like meetings. It's just talking to people. It's just winging it and, and figuring stuff out and having a conversation. And What about you? Like how do you think about the things you're good at and that energy question. Okay, we're not done with a conversation about you because I have a follow-up question, but to answer your question so that this doesn't feel one-sided, I think I've been asking myself that as of late, and I think it's largely because I've been watching like esports a lot and like watching some of like the best esports players. And then like I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, you know, I'm looking at these like 22-year-olds and I'm thinking like, what in the world am I like 10 times better than anyone else at? You know, because you have these like esports player like doing cool things on in their games that better than anyone else. And can I just say, I think part of that question does come back to the energy question of like, which things naturally require less energy of me than they require of others, because then it becomes a little bit easier for you to put the time in. Mm -hmm. And likewise, which things do you feel drawn to? Mm -hmm. Because those are going to be the things that's easier to put the time in. Because to get 10 times better at anything, you have to just put a lot of time in. So, so going back, this is where 
this is where I like, this is why I challenged this idea of like, if there's only these two founder archetypes, right? I think that the thing that I'm really good at is, and has always been kind of like filling honestly, whatever role was needed and doing it to an acceptable degree until I can find someone else to replace me and giving away my Legos, which is a new term that I learned recently. Love that term. Yeah. Besides that, the thing that I'm really good at is that I get sometimes really manic and have like an idea of like what it is I want and like think about how to achieve it in like the most late stage capitalist way I can. So I get really obsessed with like the idea of like a leverage buyout and I spend, you know, hours and hours on micro acquire thinking like, okay. (laughs) But I I think the way that translates internally into the company is that at the end of the day, a lot of the energy and like, you know, excitement to come to work and to do their job and to like continue to have ownership over what it is they do, I think does come from the fact that I just get people really excited about whatever it is that we're doing. I think in college, it occurred to me that I'm really good at getting people excited to work on a thing. Something that I've had to learn a lot is how to maintain that excitement. At least for me, it's really easy to get people hyped up about a new project. I think I had a friend tell me that like, the way I convince them to do things with me is that I make it sound like I'm so confident that it's a sure win. And I think I just kind of like leverage that ability in other areas like sales. And I think that's what has worked for me. That being said, I'm positive there are better salespeople than me. And I think I will, I'm more than happy to give that away. I'm almost like at this point, I'm looking for a creative director who can take a lot of that work away from me. I think that there are people that are better than me at pretty much everything. And I am looking, just trying to find all of them. So yeah. Interesting. I'm impressed with how well in that you seem to understand yourself because I think you're spot on. I think you are good at jumping into a lot of different things. I think you are good at getting people excited and like just sort of framing things in a way that makes them sound cooler. And it's not bullshit. It's like, but genuinely, like you have a way of framing things that I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it like that. But yeah, that is kind of what that is. And that is kind of cool. And that is kind of exciting. And you do have that confidence when you talk about an idea or you talk about something and that does translate well. And it is. It's the fact that the Dunning-Kruger effect, there's no dip, right? (laughs) There's a perpetual. (laughs) I don't think that's true. (laughs) Okay, fair. fair, fair. (laughs) No, that's cool. And then, yeah, a lot of that resonated with me. I think yeah, I guess I've I've been stuck on, I need to be good at these things. I can't hand them off. I need to be doing more myself. I guess mm-hmm. I've been struggling to let go of the Legos. <laughs> I've been like, oh, I need to be the one stacking the Legos everywhere. So here's my follow-up to this, right? Mm-hmm. This is something about my head. Like, you have a co-founder. I'm curious what Austin thinks about what your job should be. Because, like, I think that Austin's role is very clear, right? It's he leads the client fulfillment team and he does it amazingly. And, you know, he's pretty much in charge of all the work product that comes out of of Crit. Do you feel like you have some sort of like social contract with him in terms of like, okay, you are this founder, I'm going to do this. And you're worried about like either not performing or, or having to change that or? That's certainly a part of it, right? And part of it too, I think, is there is a little bit of a difference between us. Austin is much better than I am at something needs to consistently get done, he's going to sit down and crank it out. Whereas I have to like really focus on my mindset mm. to like get myself in a place to just like sit down and crank out a document or sit down and crank out a bunch of cold emails or crank out some Twitter content or a blog post or whatever. Like Austin, I think some of that comes a little bit more naturally to him. 
<laughs> like I worry that I'm like too much of a cost center. <laughs> like part of that is because Austin is still billable in a lot of for a lot of his work. And I'm very, very little of my work is billable and probably none of it should be. And so I'm like, damn, I'm already the only one on the team who's like not at all billable. And I'm also saying I need help from other people to do my job. So it's like I'm just like this slowly expanding cost center. <laughs> Dude, I'm so scared to pay myself <laughs> now. No, and in, in all seriousness, like, okay, maybe this is mean, but like that is like a little bit ridiculous, <laughs> right? Like, you know, you own the place, right? Like, <laughs> like like if you had an employee that was a huge cost center and they wanted every single tool under the moon and then wasn't bringing in sales and and was saying that it was other people's fault or or that they needed help i get it they're a cost center you know like everything that you do is a value add to crit at the end of the day generally that's interesting i don't i don't know that i fully agree with that i think i think founders can certainly decrease value from the company you can like that's fair i've seen that but <laughs> <laughs> like i don't think it's by default a value add that's true but i think the ways your cost center is different but but if you do want to think about it like that isn't aren't you more of a cost center by doing things you're not good at versus giving it away yeah, to someone yeah, oh, yeah. okay i'm like i'm decreasing efficiency and i think that's mm-hmm. what i'm trying to accept i see and that's what i'm trying to start looking at it as is like if someone else can do this, not just better than me, like not just a better outcome, but do it more efficiently, then I should be aiming to get them into my role as fast as humanly possible. Because otherwise, I'm just like leading this inefficient blob <laughs> in the company. I think that is a helpful way to look at it is like trusting that there are things I'm good at. Yeah. And so then trying to remove the things I'm not good at and like going, hey, the company is going to get more efficient even if it costs more in the short term, it's going to get more efficient. I actually think the way of thinking of myself as a cost center is a very effective way for me to do things. Like every moment I am not not stepping up to the plate or that every moment where I should be delegating work and I'm not is costing the company a lot more. It's actually a kind of, I don't know if it's a healthy way to think about it. It's I a think. fairly <laughs> negative. <laughs> yeah, it's a fairly negative way of looking at it. But yeah, that could be fairly unhealthy. Um, I guess it also depends on like, are you okay with growing too, right? Because mm-hmm. if you don't want to grow, then you need to you do need to figure out how to achieve the same results without adding cost. But if but I think I think for us, we want to grow. We've said we want to grow for a long time. Mm-hmm. We want to try to grow profitably, mm-hmm. but we want to grow. Speaking of, how large do you want Crit to be? Ooh, good question. Um, really curious to hear your answer on this as well. I have an answer. I can tell you right now huge you want to be huge (laughs) really like pentagram size oh shit i don't no that sounds awful that sounds miserable absolutely (laughs) not yeah no fuck that (laughs) (laughs) i want to be big enough that we can have a good balance of team and clients Mm -hmm. so that if one person leaves or one client leaves it doesn't rock the boat that much so to me that means being 20 to 30 people, you know, big enough that we can have eight to 10 concurrent clients without it being too much of a strain on the team without a whole lot of context switching. You know, ideally each person is on one or two clients 
So then to have 10 clients and probably need 20 plus people on production and then 10 or so people to support them, maybe less. I'm totally fudging those numbers. Like, But yeah, so somewhere around 30 people, I think, would be a really good size that would be big enough to have the resources to do some cool things and to have stability, but small enough to still be like fairly nimble, be able to adjust if we need to and know everybody on the team and be sort of a tight knit group. Okay. Maybe huge was not the right answer. Okay. In my head, like 50 is huge. I didn't know how big Pentagram was. So when you said huge, I immediately thought like fucking Deloitte or something <laughs> like yeah, not, yeah. not Deloitte, but yeah. I don't know. I, I thought like 500. Gotcha, gotcha. I think that'd be cool. I think 50 is already more than I am looking for or like around there. I, I assume Pentagram is like 50 people. I actually have no idea now that I think about it. Uh, so two things. One, I think it's still good that you've done those things because ultimately I think your job as the CEO isn't to be to do sales and marketing. I think, yes, early on in startups, sometimes it lands on the CEO's job. But I do think that a lot of your time is setting the standard of work that goes out. So I think it's good that you've done the sales and marketing aspect because you can set the standard of work for, you know, your future technical account manager and marketing person and whatnot. However, I can see that it's like hard to let go. It's always been hard to let go for myself as well. Even though like I know for a fact I do a terrible job at content marketing. We have a marketing contractor slash consultant who's been helping us with things. And like, I think I'm at this point, three or four weeks late on giving her materials for a case study. And she's just been sitting there like, dude, <laughs> I needed this a while ago. It is a hard part, hard to delegate because it's like, I think good marketing versus bad marketing is such a hard thing to measure. So it's hard to tell if someone's a good marketer or bad. And frankly, I haven't met many good marketers in my life. So I also struggle with like, sometimes what I want from marketing isn't necessarily traditional good marketing right i don't care just about the numbers i care about the quality of what we're putting out like i was looking for a social media person and i was like quite frankly i just want to see one person who has some memes in their portfolio like i yeah it's a like sort of a joke but sort of not like i want if i hire a social media person i think the best social media people are kind of funny on top of what's happening in the moment in their industry and can like make references to that and can you know have fun with it and can create things that are sort of sort of stand out like maybe all you should care about is the numbers the end results but i think it comes back to a brand thing right like i I do want to point out by the way the people who on social media who like are funny and post those memes do not make for good marketing directors slash marketing staff do not make good marketing directors or marketing staff yeah yeah from previous experience this is anecdotal this is anecdotal but like i'll tell you who after this call but they do not make for good marketing directors i think that that being said like you know i'm sure that's not mm-hmm. always true i'm sure there's people who you know are funny and on social media and then make great you know social media marketers for you but I don't know. I think good marketers are just hard to find. Like good marketers that fit your company's vibe and are on brand are hard to find. And I think that's just the nature of like marketing in general. Like I think that I've seen a lot of companies get punished. A lot of our clients before us, to be honest, not to toot our own horn, have been punished for hiring, like for having bad marketing hires because like it's just it's just so hard to measure and it's hard to like pinpoint exactly what it is you need. You were telling me a little bit about how you've been thinking about your energy during the day. And I think that Mm -hmm. in a way is like pretty connected to all of this conversation of understanding, like being able to move through those and understand the costs and the trade-offs 
when someone yourself or, or an employee is not in the best role. That's interesting that you just made those two connections as I did not. So to kind of touch on what Andrew's talking about, I was telling him before this call, it's so weird to break the fourth wall. This is like an interesting, like a deeper conversation. And I <laughs> just remembered we're on a podcast. So I had to... But yeah, the context is that basically I was just saying that like, I've started thinking about like, well, it's not just about like time management. It's a lot about like energy management. Cause I think about how like, like, like fundamentally, like all hours are not created equal, right? There's 24 hours in the day, but doing a podcast with you for an hour costs me an hour of energy or honestly, even less, honestly, like this is not like burdensome whatsoever. Right. But like spending like 30 minutes on rippling, signing like everyone's documents, verifying I-9s, like figuring out HSA, looking through like benefits packages and stuff. Like I've never felt more tired in my job and like, I've never hated, I've never felt not fulfilled in running this company as much as I have going through the process of like a PEO and, and benefits <laughs> and all that type of stuff. Maybe this is the problem. Maybe I've been doing admin like HR work for too long and I've just... Do you like that stuff? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, we uh -huh. talked before about how I would, I think being a head of people is fun. And when I think about that, I'm like, mm -hmm. ah, except for all the fucking paperwork. I enjoy thinking about culture and thinking about what should our sick leave policy be and learning about how to do diversity and inclusion better at a company and mm. like learning about hiring practices. Like I enjoy all of those things, but no, no, I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy dealing with just works bullshit. Like I hate when I get an email from just works saying your employee who just joined is in a new state. You have to go register with this awful software and <laughs> sign up for their unemployment insurance and then send us the form and like sign three other forms and, no, I hate, I hate that. Cool, stuff. cool, cool. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that I'm not friends with a psychopath. That's good. <laughs> okay. So going back to this, right? I think, I hate bringing this guy's name up now, but like, I think Andrew Wilkinson is right, right? Like delegate everything it is that you don't want to do to someone else. And I don't think it matters whether or not you're good at it or not. Just like do the thing that like it fulfills you the most and like costs you the least energy. But to go back to the thinking, it was just like, the whole energy management concept is just like fundamentally I'm a battery and if after I sleep I'm charged as a battery. I think it's more than just sleep, right? Like it's also there's all these other things that charge your battery on a deeper level. But yes, continue. Okay, so sleeping and eating <laughs> are the things that charge my battery. Nothing else. And like fundamentally I'm a laptop and there are tasks that are Chrome tabs and slacks that will burn the battery and then there are tasks like Apple Notes which will be fine. And, and I'm stuck with the battery that I get and the processor that I get. I don't get to upgrade to an M1. And, and because of that, like, I've been thinking about this more and more because we have a mutual friend who told me how, like, he basically he only has energy to, like, get through work for the day. And then afterwards, he's just tired, right? A mutual friend who runs one of our very, a company that we both really like. And I don't know, recently, I've just felt that way a lot. And I've been trying to figure out, like, what it is that, like, what is the Chrome tab or what is the Slack that it drains my, you know, energy the most? And it's, it's like a number of things. And I think the tie in here for what you were asking in terms of people on my side, we've had to move people around in their roles quite a bit. And one-on-ones are usually a great way for me to kind of check in to make sure, but I didn't realize I was doing this, but basically when they kind of joined, I always kind of make it a point that they are doing the work that like fulfills them the most. So Austin, like our sound person for a while was like, you know, just helping fill in the roles of a, like a project manager just because our current project manager had left 
it was just incredibly like much more draining. And I think that when people are put in the positions that like they genuinely feel fulfilled in doing like the work also just is so much better. It's funny because I fundamentally agree with that and believe that and yet have such a hard time accepting it for myself. <laughs> I absolutely. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm always trying to be like, Oh crap. Yeah. This person is feeling really drained. Like I need to keep an eye on them and yeah, I might need to ask them to do this work for a little while, but I need to be figuring out, okay, how do I get them towards some of the work that they, that is more valuable for them and more fulfilling for them. And yet extending that same kindness to myself is tough. Yeah. I think, I think that's where you and I are alike in that way. Are we just not good at being friends to ourselves? Is that what this, is that what we're learning? Is there childhood trauma that needs to be unpacked? Like, do you think that if Austin was managing you, he would put you in the position, like in the current positions you were, you're in, or would he put you in other roles? Oh, interesting. That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I have to assume it's kind of the same thing we've been talking about. Like he would probably leave me here for now because he would go hey we don't have anybody else to do this shit mm-hmm. it needs to get done like can you just grit your teeth and get through it but then have an eye towards trying something different i don't mean this to be all doom and gloom that like i hate my job mm-hmm. i fundamentally don't think that's true i think i have a lot of privilege and a lot of wonderful parts about my job there are parts of my job that i keep trying to do that i might need to relinquish I think a good way to also think about this is that if you do find someone to kind of take it over, it's there, they become a good mentor for you to do your job. Like if you do want to do it, right? Like ultimately you do kind of run the company and you should be able to do, you know, activities that is that you want to do. I think knowing you and knowing the background that you've come in from was just like that build in public crowd, like that type of like founder sort of Twitter in terms of like talking about what they're doing in public and that transparency is important to you, which is like a form of marketing in a way, right? But I think if you do find a marketer who's able to kind of take on some of the other roles, like you might be able to also just learn from them and that could be good. I think as entrepreneurs, which is a terrible word, I think we have a tendency to think that we can learn everything ourselves, or at least for me, right? I, I always kind of have assumed I can like teach myself anything and everything it is that I need for my business. And like, there are just gaps in my knowledge that sometimes when I hire someone's like, oh, that's how that works. That's interesting because I, I also think it's really hard. It becomes so much harder to hire somebody. Like luck becomes such a, a much larger factor when you don't have a decent understanding and, and knowledge base of that thing. I don't know, man. Running a company is hard. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't like the fact that you've done this for eight years. All, all the more respect and kudos to you. I sometimes wonder if it's harder with like more people and more growth or if it's just like all hard and so <laughs> it's just bigger outcomes for everything you do. If there's more people and more growth, you know, like I think about someone who's in like Andrew's shoes or or even bigger companies. I assume it is like I assume there is more more work and you have to be willing to grind for longer. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that's why my answer to like how large I want to grow is huge. Like I think I've seen the path of like zero to one million multiple times in you know previous companies and whatnot but like like i would very much like to see what one one to three looks like which is what we're doing now but then like also what three to ten looks like but then like 10 to 25 i don't know how much i need to see 10 to 25 that seems like an incredibly large number (laughs) that like i'm not that interested in but like yeah if you could get to 10 million with a 30 percent profit margin then you could sell for 10 million and then 
And then you can really do what you want to do. And again, this is the fallacy, right? That like you have to sell your company to do what you want to do. That's true. I think you can start figuring that out now. And I need to embrace that a little bit more and lean into it. Yeah. What is it that you really want to do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like what I'm doing now enough. And I think I would like it more if I focused on the things that I am better at. So going back to like this, like 10 to 25 and whatnot, right? Because I think I always think about how like, like, okay, as much as like, as wild as like Ryan is, like Ryan Breslow is, like, I think about how like Ryan Breslow is able to run that large of a company. And I think at the end of the day, is that the, is that the bolt guy? Yeah, that's the bolt guy. (laughs) (laughs) I think when you're, when you're like running a company that's even past, you know, like let's say two or 3 million all the way to 25 to a hundred to a billion, right? I think the power really comes into delegation, right? Everything that you need to do is delegated to people that you trust so that your entire job is just to make two to three like quality decisions that day. Like that's your job as a CEO and that should be, and that, and that I think that makes sense. And I think that's why when we get advice from top down, it's always delegate your work, which I think you and I could both learn to do more, which is like delegate work that you're not good at. However, I think that advice has the same energy as like, I'm sorry, but like when white men write self-help books. You don't need to apologize. I know, I know what we do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like, I don't have money to delegate past where we are, right? Like I can't actually, I can't actually hire three more marketing people to do the stuff. Like I have to do it at some point, even if it's like this. I I think I empathize with that situation where like you do get stuck between like a rock and a hard place when it comes to, you know, finding others to do that work. Yeah. The less of it you do, the more your skill set for the future shifts towards management and less like implementation, which is probably a good thing. But it's just, it's a weird thing for me personally to grapple with. Yeah, I think it's hard to, I think it's super hard to like give, a, give up IC work. Also, I think one thing that like, that helps me give up IC work is I kind of need to find ways to give it up where I don't see the end product, <laughs> as weird as that is. <laughs> like, I can be so nitpicky about things that don't matter yeah. that like yeah, the yeah, yeah. best solutions are like with this podcast i don't listen to i do not listen to the podcast me too me too <laughs> every time i do it, it's so angry. <laughs> i actually i i will say it. i've listened once or twice and i was like oh this is pretty good this it is not- it is mary you're doing a great job hatch you guys you guys are doing a great job it's just like they're very very like tiny nitpicks and then like i'll have someone else listen to it and they'll be like <laughs> what are you talking like a lot of them are directed towards myself too it's like God, Andrew, shut up. <laughs> it's the thinking is more like, oh, Mary, why couldn't you just edit it out? The stupid thing I said. <laughs> but yeah, so like giving up on that perfectionism is a part of, of handing off the Legos. I guess what I'm saying is part of an important part of delegating and giving up the Legos is relinquishing the perfectionism. And it's not that someone else's version is worse. It's just different than yours. And so, you know, it's going to be tough to accept because it's different than how you would have done it. But oftentimes it's plenty good. The quality is, is plenty high. And the easiest way I've found to get around my own perfectionism is to just not see the end result. Like it works great having Austin run production because for the most part, I just don't see things. And then when I do, I'm like, oh yeah, that looks great. Like I don't see the messy middle. That's an interesting breakthrough for me, at least you saying that in terms of like not seeing the work if I delegate it because it's true right like I was telling you that like Chris is planning this DEFCON party like I know nothing about what's going on like I skimmed it and I just didn't look and like there's a lot of things on the merchandise side now I literally just like I just like you and you and Serena please go do this I don't want to see it like 
I want the clothes at my door and, and I'll be happy with it. So wait, tell me more about that. What are y'all planning for DEF CON and Black Hat? Well, I'm bringing a couple folks that'll be fun. I know that Austin, our producer, has is signing up for like the DJ competition. I think that Chris has signed up to potentially host a DEF CON party. We will definitely have a booth. Well, as long as they let us, but we're, we registered to be a vendor. Uh, we were a virtual vendor last year and it was not as fun as just being there in person. But now that we actually have staff to man the booths, um, that'll be a thing. And then I'll probably be helping out with the Tracelab CTF since that's the other thing that I'm involved with. And I think that's pretty much it. Cool. Otherwise, just going to be at the crap stable a lot. If you want to find me, I will be at the crap stable the entire time. So the Trace Lab CTF is coming back this year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do it in person, I think. Cool. Finally. So that'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be a neat, neat experience. We are tentatively planning some sort of rock climbing party or meetup or not totally sure yet, but I am not the best craps player. And so I have the most fun when we're in Vegas, when I get away from like the strip, when I like I've had the most fun, like when we went to have Korean barbecue or when I went rock climbing or just found a really good restaurant or something like that. So which some of that is for sure on the strip. Momofuku was my favorite memory of Vegas. Momofuku. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Momofuku was on the strip and God damn, I think about that meal often. (laughs) Yeah. So I just want an excuse to go rock climbing with a bunch of nerdy security people. So I think I'm going to look into either renting out a rock climbing gym or just like having a tab with a rock climbing gym or something where people can just come for a few hours and boulder and hang out and chat and just it'll probably be something fairly low-key fairly casual but give people who don't want to drink or party a something to do and or give people who just like rock climbing and something to do maybe we'll go get beers afterwards i think there for a lot of folks it's a good kind of reprieve from all the vegas stuff that goes on you know some sense of like slice of life normalcy that like i get it i i I still think back to last year and thinking about how tired i was halfway through speaking of conferences you want to you want to know a crazy thing that miscreants is doing Ooh, tell me so shmoocon is in two weeks and uh is is you know one of the larger conferences in dc and uh uh, is also home to this game called hack fortress hack fortress is a 10-man team where five of those are CTF players and five of them are Team Fortress players. It's an annual thing. What is Team Fortress? Team Fortress 2 is a shooter game. It's a, it's a okay. class-based shooter. You you can play as like a medic or a sniper or a spy or whatnot. It's a, it's an old Steam game. You can get it for free on, on Steam. But it's a modded version of this game where as you solve CTF puzzles, your team gets bonuses where, such as freezing the enemy side or getting power-ups or whatever and all that stuff. Oh, that's so much fun. So it's not, they're not actively modding the game, but they are doing a CTF alongside the game. And then as they, it would be kind of fun if they were just like actively modding the game, like they were having to look for hacks and shit in the game. Yeah. So literally. I think that game would break real quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hack Fortress is this annual thing that happens. It's big enough where I was at DEF CON last year and the winning team happens to be all my friends back in, you know, from college. So they're here again. I think I think their favorites to win, and Miscreants is putting a big bet on them in the fact that Miscreants is sponsoring their team, as if they were like esports, you know, like an esports team. That's awesome. So we made them all hoodies. It's, you know, it's it'll be a fun little thing. But that's our marketing ad buy of the year. That's really fun. I I love that. I think that's really cool. Thanks. Thanks. But yeah, that's it. That's the that's the exciting fun thing. 
fine. Cool, man. Well, thanks for the extra therapy session. I clearly needed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it was helpful. You know, happy to talk yeah. anytime. Cool. Catch you later. Yeah, I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. You just listened to Small Efforts, a podcast collaboration between Crit and Miscreants, hosted by Sean Sun and Andrew Askins. Sean is a hacker turned designer and the founder of Miscreants, a creative agency building memorable brand and product experiences for cybersecurity ventures. Andrew is an engineer turned CEO and the founder of Crit, a product design agency that helps cybersecurity founders create better products. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can check us out at smalleffortspod.com. Thanks for listening. See you next episode. Thank you.